Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview real estate investors to figure out how they found their rhythm and dive into how they've created their own sound investments. But before we begin, I just want to give you a reminder for today's sponsor, sponsored by In Rhythm Multifamily's Family Group's Facebook group. So this is just the group where I post some of the, my content, some of the meetups that I've gone to, just conversations that I've had, safe space to learn. So join the group, take action, join me and my journey as I dive into this industry. And now for today's guest, he is coming all the way from Mobile, Alabama. He is a multifamily investor, broker, and consultant and specializes in market analysis, demand supply analysis, market cycles, after-tax savings and strategies, and feasibility analysis. His passion and focus is to build strategic partnerships with syndicators and sponsors and invest passively to build wealth for his family legacy. He is current he currently has his broker's license in four different states and is the Florida CCIM chapter panhandle district president. He runs the CCIM Institute uh, teaching advanced market analysis and runs the uh, multifamily market insights Facebook group. Please give a warm welcome to David Monroe. Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, th- thank you for coming. I appreciate you, you spending your, your Friday morning with me, early Friday morning. So yeah, I appreciate you jumping on. So first, I'd love to know where this all started. So how did you get into real estate in the first place? So funny story. I was sitting in a hotel room in Mariana, Florida, in the Panhandle District. And this was December 28th, 2011. I was in the process of being moved from Orlando, where I was living at the time, to the either Mariana, where they were firing a mechanic. I was a helicopter mechanic at the time for a very large, well, the largest EMS helicopter provider, emergency medical services, air ambulances. I I worked on those helicopters. And they were moving me either to Mariana, Florida, or to Mobile, Alabama to cover four different helicopters and be a rover. And so I was interviewing for both positions because they needed somebody in both. And I was applying for one or the other. I wanted the traveling mechanic. I didn't really want Mariana, but I was sitting in Mariana because they had already fired that guy and needed somebody to cover. So I'm in a hotel in Mariana and I'm thinking to myself, self, what? are you going to, or what age will you be able to retire? And I got really scared. At the time, I had sold a whole bunch of stuff that year. I had made probably around just under $100,000 in salary and income from overtime from my W-2 job. I had sold a boat, sold an airplane that I was building. We had a junior dragster. My son wasn't interested. That's him behind me. He just wasn't interested in it. So we sold the junior dragster, had about four go-karts, sold the go-karts because we didn't want to bring them with us when we moved. And just, I had all this cash influx plus my salary. 
had 50 plus thousand in my 401k and chills went up down my arm and said, oh crap, you're going to be working for the rest of your life. There's no way you're retiring at this pace. And I was 42 years old. So I started thinking to myself, what in the world can I do to accelerate being able to retire at 55 if I wanted to? Doesn't mean I want to retire at 55, but I'd like that choice. So I just started researching online. I had no idea about real estate at the time. Mm-hmm. So I just started researching online. I yeah, All this real estate stuff kept coming up. So I was like, okay, let's check this out. And so I found a, an audio program from a very old Carlton Sheets program called The Weekend Millionaire. And so I'm doing a lot of driving. So I'm listening to the audio while I'm driving, turning my car into a kind of a classroom. And it was really interesting and was really the first time I was introduced to rentals as, as an investment or as building wealth and being able to retire at some point. And then bought some books, bought Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like everybody else does and read that and really learned what wealth was. You know, I had my own definitions of rich and wealth at the time. They were wrong. I think that (laughs) book was probably one of the best books for actually defining what wealth is. That's really all I got out of that book. I I don't really buy into Kiyosaki's investing strategies, Mm -hmm. but those definitions changed how I look at money. And then I picked up a book called Commercial Real Estate 101. And it's got Trump's face on the cover. Trump didn't write it. Uh, A guy named David Lindahl wrote it. And most of the people that listen to this podcast probably know who David Lindahl is. Mm -hmm. And in that book, he talks about another book he wrote called Multifamily Millions. So that was such a good book. I went and grabbed Multifamily Millions. And I said, ooh, I got to read that. And I read that. And so when I'm doing all this, I'm also moving into Mobile. So I'm starting to drive neighborhoods because I had taking that weekend millionaire course. And so I'm driving neighborhoods. I'm trying to find investments. I got a a realtor friend of mine that I had made as a friend that was also an investor. And I think he got tired of driving me around and I don't blame him because I was using him a lot. (laughs) I I said, he said, Dave, why don't you just get your real estate license? And remember December 28th was the day I started this process. This is like January now middle of January. And I was like, all right, what, what's that mean? And he's, he said, just go take a test. And it's, you know, for less than 350 bucks, you can get your real estate license. And I don't have to drive you around all the time. You can get access to all these lock boxes and houses and get access to the hot sheets because foreclosures were a real big thing going on at the time. I was like, Ooh, that sounds cool. I'll do that. By March 13th, I had my real estate license. It was really quick. It was easy. And then I started learning, wait a minute, there's a sales process to this. What? I got to be a salesman now? I've never been a salesman in my life. (laughs) Didn't know that aspect of it. At the same time, I'm reading Multifamily Millions and I get introduced to apartment investing. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is how you build wealth. Because I took Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I poured it into uh, Multifamily Millions and said, this is how I retire at 55. And that started my journey to building my wealth with multifamily investing. So I took the broker license. One of the things David mentions in Multifamily Millions is the CCIM Institute. So I look up the CCIM Institute, find out all about that. And I'm like, ooh, that's credibility. 
I need credibility if I want investors because I know nobody in Mobile, Alabama. And I mean, nobody. Wow. And so by September of 2012, I become a CCIM candidate. And that starts my journey on real education, not guru education, but real education. Mm -hmm. So I got, you know, financial analysis 101, then market analysis 102, which I now teach, user decision analysis, which is 103. These are all CCIM courses. I didn't really care much for user analysis. That's more leasing and buying your own building and owning. And then 104 is investor analysis and investor decision analysis. So 101, 102, and 104 were my big sticky points. And I learned very quickly. And by the end of 2014, I had all the education I needed. I didn't need a guru. But what I didn't have was somebody to teach me the ways to invest. Could I analyze? Could I underwrite? Yep. But how do you find the deals? How do you find the investors? How do you put these groups together? The, all these different aspects, we don't teach that at CCIM. We just teach the underwriting model. They're getting better. We have some other courses now that do teach you how to raise capital mm-hmm. and how to do waterfalls and things like that. So by 2017, I got my designation. I had done my first syndication in Texas did not have fun doing a syndication. So you're trading a job for a job. So for all you out there that think you can do syndication part-time and be the syndicator, the manager of the managing members or the manager of the GP, however you structure your uh, investment, it is not a part-time job, especially if you're doing value add. So I quickly became the manager of the managing members, the investors, the asset manager, I became the manager of the property managers. I became the manager of the project manager, which meant I was the project manager for the value add strategy. I had to manage the CPA. I had to manage the attorneys. There there is so much involved, even in a small 40 unit syndication that we were doing, that it was absorbing all of my time. And that's not what I was looking for. I I was looking for something more part-time but wanted to be a syndicator because that was the thing to do. So made the decision moving forward that I wasn't going to be a syndicator, (laughs) but I love the transaction process. I'm very good at the transaction process from finding the deal, underwriting the deal, going through the due diligence or the entire strategic analysis process from market analysis to financial analysis, political and legal analysis, location and side analysis, that whole encompassing what I call strategic analysis model, which, okay, so you guys know, nothing in this brain is unique. I learned from other people. That is the CCIM's model, strategic analysis model for due diligence. And then get that property to closing. Once closing occurs, I just want to step away. I'd like to take some of the fees I made, put it in as an LP investor on the limited partnership side or limited member side, if it's an LLC or a partnership, mm-hmm. and enjoy the cash flow without managing the rest of the deal. Mm-hmm. So that's what syndicators and sponsors are for. I just want to build strategic partnerships with those folks, enjoy the cash flow, and become independently wealthy by the time I'm 55 years old. I have three and a half years to go and I'm on my way to getting there. I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way to getting there. That's me story. What's really impressive about that is just the process that it took to get there. Because at 42 years old, like I can, I don't know, I, I can imagine just like hearing 
and through the grapevine that, oh, you know, I'm too old. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're old. <laughs> hey, you look young. I'm you look good. Young. <laughs> see all that gray hair? Your, 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 uh, your <laughs> listeners can't see it, but there's a lot of gray hair in that little goatee right there. Trust me, I'm old. I ain't worried. For my listeners, I don't see any gray hair at all. He's, he's looking young, looking, the, that, looking in that's the That's also because my hair is shaved. So you got to look on the goatee. <laughs> but yeah, but anyways, like, the, the fact that you took action to get yourself educated, like it wasn't like a, a day process or even a month process. It was just continually educating and, and chasing that curiosity, even to get your broker's license and even to go down and go through your first syndication. But what I actually found is pretty interesting is that after you went through that syndication, you didn't want to be a syndicator realizing like how much work it is because I feel like that so many people out here, it, multifamily investing is, is like the sexy thing that, that people talk about. But I do want to dive into just that first syndication first and like how you met these partners and then and, and dive into more just like into why you decided not to and, and why you wanted to go more into the the partnership and, and passive side. Um, so first with that syndication and that 40 unit in Texas, being all the way from Mobile, Alabama, how did you meet these people over in Texas? So I belong to, at the time, a company called Sperry Commercial Global Affiliates. It's a global commercial brokerage firm. Mm-hmm. One of the brokers, and we have a call every two weeks. On the call, we do listings that we have sometimes before they go to the market. So all the affiliates get to see them first and, and we're franchisees. So we're buying into a franchise. I was a franchisee. Hmm. I had a partner in Birmingham, that partner in Birmingham, him and I decided we're going to create a syndication company. He was writing my coattails because he had no idea how to do multifamily, but knew multifamily was the investment to do. He would bring, you know, if he found office retail, which was his strong point, He'd bring that to the table. I'd bring the multifamily to the table. Well, we're on one of our biweekly calls and our Dallas, actually our Longview, Texas broker or affiliate presents a 40 unit deal at a 10 cap in Northeast Texas. I I don't care where in Texas, a true 10 cap is a good deal, no matter where you are in Texas. (laughs) And it was a stabilized asset. So we dug into it, got an LOI to them quickly and got it under contract very fast, primarily because we were the first ones to the table. I mean, he wasn't even finished or she wasn't even finished presenting and I was already direct messaging her, get me all the information, I'm interested in this. And timing is a lot about real estate. So I've got just real quick. I've got a property that we have an LOI on. We're getting ready to rescind that LOI because we've learned some things about it. But we have an LOI on a property in Mississippi that's over 100 units that can be bought for $2.5 million. Again, that was one of those diamonds in the rough that I found because of timing, right place, right time. Mm -hmm. Now, I've learned some things subsequently that we're not going to move forward with that. We're going to rescind it. But I wouldn't have ever known about it if I hadn't have made that phone call from something I had heard from something else and identified that opportunity. So timing is, is a lot of finding good deal. De- de- uh, can't talk. Finding good <laughs> deals. So once we got the property under contract, we then just went to our sphere of influence. So I had clients that I had sold apartments to in the past. They knew that we were putting together a syndication company. And so we reached out to them 
three clients that I had sold apartment complexes to in the past invested with us. Two of the brokers that were part of our affiliation invested with us. Two other affiliates from the global network invested with us. And then three other people outside that sphere of influence invested with us from relationships that we had built. And then we closed on the property on time and we actually got the the renovation plan was actually a little late, wasn't quite on time, but it was on budget. Our budget was dead on, which is rare. It's rare to have a dead on budget, but we were lucky we had a our budget was I literally dead on. But we were about three months late on it, but that wasn't a big deal. We still had another nine months before we had to refi the bridge out. So it worked out. Hmm. And this, we're talking about the uh, we're talking about the the forty unit over in Texas, right? Yeah. We, okay. Yeah, that's the only syndication I did. So mm. that entire process drained my time. I had to travel to Longview multiple times. It's I don't like to fly. I, I've been flying my entire life. I don't trust pilots anymore. The older I get, the less trusting I get for pilots, <laughs> especially as stupid as things have gotten over the years. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of driving. It's a seven and a half hour drive to Longview for Mobile. So I'd make that trip a couple of times a month, spend a few days there. Come back. So it's taking away from my business development to be that syndicator. Now, if you have a good team in place and you can trust people to take certain aspects. So if you've got somebody that can be the asset manager after closing. If you've got somebody that can be the project manager during value adds, if you've got somebody that can be acquisitions, somebody that can be investor relations, if you have that team in place, then it's not that full-time of a job initially, but we didn't have that big team in place. It was just me and my business partner and he didn't know anything. So I was doing it all. So that that was a mistake I had made on my part. So the key takeaway there is build your team before you take down your first property. It's easy to build relationships. How long were you planning on uh, holding? Like, do you still do you still have it, or have you guys gone full cycle? So, full funny story there. Full disclosure, and this is where you'll learn that I am uh, an open book and uh, very transparent. So about. A year into the investment, and we're starting to think about refi, our property manager that we had hired, which was the broker that brought us the deal, wasn't doing a good job. He just wasn't getting the lease up where it needed to be. So it was affecting the timing on when we could refi everybody out. We still had plenty of time for the refi, but we were as soon as the renovations were done, we were starting that process so we could get that get that bridge debt out and get into a to a Freddie loan quickly, which would have been would have been better on our cash flows. And I believe from that relationship that I had that I think they had every intention of eliminating me once we got to that point. Ooh. Because they made this, they went and had a secret meeting. There were five of us on the managing member side. And four of them met and decided to vote me out of the LLC. They paid me. I got my investment back, so I didn't lose any money. Mm-hmm. But they voted me out once the renovation was complete. And they said, I waited too long to fire the property management company. So it is what it is. I had no problem leaving. I said, okay, guys, that's fine. I, mm-hmm. I don't mind. 
they, again, they gave me what I had in it and said, bye-bye. And I said, bye-bye. And of course that ruined the partnership between me and my business partner for our brokerage as well. So I went and uh, did something else after that, but that was a very interesting part of it. They have struggled with that property since I left because none of them have any multifamily experience at all. I believe they're going to end up losing the property because that bridge debt still in place. Now it was due prior to COVID, but they gave them an extension. If you were going to fire me, at least let me get the refi done first. <laughs> that would have been a smart <laughs> thing to do. Uh, and uh, so they, they got an extension on that. That extension put it into COVID. So they got another extension and that extension, I believe expires this month. I don't know if they can get another one or not, but now whether they can refi or not, I don't know. My guess is where it's located, probably not. I'm going to have to guess that a lot of those tenants probably haven't been paying and good luck getting a forbearance on a bridge loan. And, you know, just for just as quickly simplify bridge loans, that's when those are particularly for more heavy lifts, right? That's they. They fund the construction rent, the construction costs uh, in the front ends, and then once you ref- yeah, can can you clarify that what what a bridge debt is real quick? So, the nuts and bolts of it, it's it's a hard money loan for multifamily. That's okay. that's basically what it is. It depends on how you structure it. So, a lot of investors will use a bridge facility when agency debt or permanent debt doesn't make sense at acquisition either because the rents are too low, it's under-occupied or a multitude of reasons, or if there's a bunch of renovations that needed to be done. So we we could have gone to agency debt right away. Hmm. Uh, we chose not to because we wanted to finance the renovations. So we got a 100% loan to cost bridge loan. We still had to bring 25% to the table, but the bridge lender gave us three three calls of the money. So the first one was one third of, we had a $300,000 budget. So we got a hundred thousand at closing for renovations. And when we got to a point where we needed the next draw, then their mortgage broker would come down, inspect the property, and then they'd give us the second hundred thousand. And that's how it worked out in the first 12 months. And hmm. again, we delivered on budget. We didn't have to ask for any more money. And we were three months late, which the lender didn't mind. They didn't care. There were still nine months to go before we had to refi. It was a 24-month interest-only bridge in order to get the renovations done. And then we had Freddie Mac on standby when we went to refi that out. But again, they fired me before we got to that point. So is what it is. It's the only time in my life I've ever been fired. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you got fired, but I mean, it just sounds like a huge learning opportunity, Mm -hmm. like learning experience from that. A real question, a quick question before, you know, we dive into just like the learning, what happened after that and like for the next deals, but are, what about the current investors, the current passive investors that are in that deal? Are they still able to, to get their returns or no? I, oh. I, I've been out for almost two years, so I don't know. Okay. But no idea. I really appreciate you sharing that story because I feel like, I feel like with, with multifamily apartments, like, like I said, like it is the sexy thing to do. And I don't think people realize like it is still a risk. It is still an investment and you really still have to vet the general partners and the managing members and 
and really do your due diligence before you make the leap and invest with somebody or even in your business partners. And that's what I really enjoy about this new model that I've created where I build a strategic partnership with somebody because we have up until a certain point in the contract period to Mm -hmm. say this relationship isn't going to work, whether for them or whether for me. So we're learning so much about each other through the through the transaction process from acquisition to going under contract, the due diligence, the underwriting, the market, you know, everything that's encompassing. We're learning everything we can about each other. You got to cap at a certain point and say, okay, well, we want to be fully funded by this date because of the contract. So we have up until probably a week prior to that date to make that decision. Because again, I'm taking a portion of the fees that I make and I'm putting it in as an LP investor. So if I were to wait until after that date, then that portion that I'm putting in can be at risk Hmm. for them. So, because I'm not going to invest with them if they're not a fit for me, they're not going to want me to invest with them if I'm not a fit for them. So that strategic partnership and going through that whole transaction process is a great learning experience for both of us so that we can decide whether we're a fit to invest together or not then and into the future. That's what's really brilliant about that model. Yeah. And I'd love to dive into just like more about what you're looking for in that strategic partnership. Like some of like your, the, the best best characteristics that you've seen and also like the the red flags where you're like, oh, I'm going to run away from this because I, I see, I see bad stuff. Like what, what are some of, what are some of the, uh, let's start with the red flags first uh, and then we can, we can end off with the, the, the pause on a positive note. Okay. So a, a red flag would be, you know, a week before you have to make a go, no go decision and you've only raised half the capital. Uh, that, that means they didn't have the relationships that they thought they had or said that they had. So, so that's one. Inability to get financing. If you're having trouble, I mean, typically, and it's okay for a syndicator that can't get financing. That's why you bring in GPs and KPs. GPs, a general partner or sponsor that'll come in, they'll provide capital. They'll bring the experience. Sometimes they'll give that that liquidity and that net worth ability to get a loan. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they just want to be part of the GP side and invest on the LP side. And then the KPs, which are key principles, they do come in. They're going to want a little bit bigger piece of the pie on the GP side, but they will provide the risk to the lender for that net worth and that liquidity requirement in order to get a deal done. So, Again, you know, a week before term sheets due in the purchase agreement, if you still don't have a loan because you don't have the ability to close on a loan, that's a red flag. Hmm. So those are some of the big ones. The big ones. And then now on the positive notes, what are are some of like the the green lights? You're like, wow, I could definitely partner with this person. (laughs) Well, so I bring a deal and we start the process. And they're very easy to work with. They have a team in place. Everybody has their roles. They allow me to participate in where I can bring my expertise. The whole transaction is smooth. The the lender's excited to loan on it. Uh, The investors are excited to invest in it. They have a process or a system to find those investors. But typically, they've got people banging down the door anyway. 
and they allow me to participate a little bit in the GP side. So they're not greedy on uh, the GP side. Now, I don't want to be one of those partners that says, okay, I've got all this expertise. I can do all this. I want 50%. No, it's not me. I don't do that. Hmm. If you want to give me a little, you know, five to 10% side of the GP, that's fine. Okay. Personally, I'm wanting to invest on the LP side because that's where all the money's made. Hmm. LP is where the, all, the, all the money's made and all the headaches are gone. You don't have and to. The headaches are gone. <laughs> the money is made and the headaches are gone. Just send me after closing, send me my quarterly checks and let me go down the road. Hmm. Interesting. And so now, you know, I'd love to, love to focus on, on like the, the main focus is now, have you, so you've, uh, I, I looked on your website, you've invested uh, passively in a, in a couple deals mm-hmm. now, one of them being a mobile home park, right? Is that, is that correct? That mobile home park, it's, there's three of them and it's now for sale. Ah, nice. Okay. We, we decided to sell it yesterday. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. So, you know, I want to, I want to talk about, you know, the, the focuses and then with, cause I know you, you have a mentorship uh, opportunities and then also some courses that you teach. I love to just dive into what you're focusing on now. And, you know, for something where your audience, hold on, I'm getting like tongue tied right now. <laughs> Give me one sec, one sec. What was I saying? Yeah. So, so it's just, what's, what's your main focus now, aside from just like looking for strategic partnerships? Honestly, Taylor, that is my focus is mm, finding okay. strategic partnerships. Yes, I have a mentorship program. Yes, I have a course that I teach for being able to identify emerging markets. Those are on the side. I don't market them very much. I'll throw some posts every once in a while up in social media to to drive a little interest in it, but I don't hammer it. Like my Facebook group that I have, mm-hmm. my Facebook group is all about value, providing value. Where We grew from from November 25th, right after Thanksgiving in 2020 to now, I have almost 1,300 members. Cool. Zero to 1,300 in three, four months, less than four months. And we have a lot of engagement. It's it's a great group. And we try to just provide value. Every once in a while, I'll share a webinar that I'm doing because that webinar will be very valuable. Yes, I'm selling something at the end of the webinar, which is that course. But what they learn from the webinar outweighs the fact that, you know, it's it's not your typical webinar where they give you this itty bitty tiny nugget and then try to get you to purchase the course to actually figure out what that little nugget is. Mm-hmm. So mine is all about multifamily demand, current demand. How do you calculate it? And then I'll take the little itty bitty nugget and I'll tease with future demand and how to determine what the future multifamily will be 18 to 24 months from now. And that's the course I sell. And so I leave it wide open. It's got a great conversion ratio, but I I was doing those webinars first part of the year through end of December through January. And I stopped early February. And now I've just kind of churned the whole thing evergreen and so now there's a, a landing page you can go to watch the webinar, which has been recorded. And then if you want to sign up for the course, you can. But again, it's not something I, I constantly promote. I don't run ads to it or anything else. It's it's just there if people want it. Hmm. Got it. Got it. But, you know, what What I love, though, is that you're still giving value and educating also like other people that are in your situation that want to be, you know, passive and, and be LPs. Because uh, I, I still feel like as LPs, it's very important to know 
well, one, who you're working with and also where you're going to be <laughs> investing into. Yeah. And so I am very excited for next week's episode where we talk just to get a, get a little, little teaser, a little, little overview about how you are looking at a market and some of the big takeaways that, that you see and in, in what can be the future demand or also the red flags that you see and, and what makes you go away from a market. So I'm super excited about that. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they get a hold of you? David Monroe, CCIM.com. All right. And I'll, I'll definitely. I am. <laughs> I love it. Also, CCIM is a very, very in respect, like respectable, like the designation or like a, what's the title? Cause I know that's that it's not, or designation. It's not easy to get. No, it is definitely not it's easy. Five years. Yeah. Start to finish. Remember I started September, 2012 and I set a five-year goal to get designated. I designated October, 2017. Yeah, so that like major props and major respects because that is not a not an easy thing because I know not not a lot of people have it, and so the fact that you got and the fact that you're actually teaching the course, I'm very excited for next week next week's episode. So tune in. Thank you everyone for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you everybody. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.